Well, Christian friends, during the past 20 years that I've been a pastor, I've become accustomed to answering all kinds of questions from people. Questions from people both inside and outside the local church. Over the years, people have asked me questions about God. They've asked me questions about theology and marriage. They've asked me about raising children and money and employment and politics. But one question that I get so often is actually a question that is very, very personal. One question that I receive quite often is this question, how did you become a pastor anyway? Did you have to go to school to get a degree in that? Or did you have to fill out some kind of papers with some group? Did you have to sign a contract? Did you have to take a, a vow? Well, family, that's what I have to tell this questioning person that Yes, in fact, I did actually go to school to learn about how to be a pastor. I went to a four-year Bible college and had four years of undergraduate studies, and I also went to three more years of seminary. All of that education simply to learn how to read, how to study, how to understand, how to explain and apply the Word of God. But then I also have to tell this person that long before I ever stepped onto the campus to receive some training in the Bible, the Lord first stepped into my life and put in my heart this deep desire to want to do Christian ministry. You know, in Christian circles, we often have a vocabulary word for that idea. We use the word calling, this idea of calling that the Lord has put this desire in your heart. Well, how did that calling happen in my life? Well, I like to tell the story back in 1989, I was attending a, a week-long Christian camp down in Hanover, Pennsylvania. Today, that camp is called Penn Grove Retreat. But when I was a high school student, it still went by the old name of Camp Pamadiva. And that Pamadiva designation stood for all the states of Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia. This is a pretty rustic camp. And in fact, still there on the uh, property there is, a, is an outdoor chapel that years and years ago, Billy Sunday, the great evangelist, actually preached in this chapel when he was traveling through Pennsylvania. Well, during this one particular week of camp, our speaker was Reverend Ken Rudolph, and at the time he was serving as a traveling speaker. He was a recruiter for a Baptist Bible College here in nearby Clark Summit. That whole week, Ken preached on the life of David and what it meant to be a courageous and obedient follower of God. During one of the final messages of that week of camp, Ken was preaching and he was expounding and talking about David, but he also was drawing in some practical truth from 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, which says this, Whoever desires to be an overseer or to be a pastor, whoever desires to be a pastor desires a noble task. And in that message, Ken talked about how awesome it is to serve God full-time with your life. Not merely just to go to church on the weekends, but to serve God vocationally. To actually serve God full-time and have that be your everyday job. And at the end of that message, Ken led in prayer and he invited anyone who felt like God was putting it on their heart to serve Him in that full-time vocational way to come down forward and stand next to Him. And at the end of that prayer, that's exactly what I did. I walked to the front of that chapel and I stood there and dedicated my life to Christ for full-time vocational service. I knew in my heart that God wanted me to serve Him 
in a full-time vocational way. That that's what I was supposed to do with my life, was to serve him full-time. Now, family, of course, I'll be honest, as a ninth grader, when I was standing there in this uh, rustic camp chapel, I had no idea what the future was going to hold. I had no idea then that ultimately I would be the senior pastor of Grace Baptist Church for nearly 20 years. I didn't know that. But I did know that the Lord had put it in my heart that I was supposed to be serving Him. He put that calling deep inside of me. Family, that was 30 years ago next year. And I have not wavered from that calling to this day. Friends, we're going to go on our Bibles now to the book of Exodus. And today in this message that I've entitled, A Holy Calling. You and I are going to study today the calling of Moses. This legendary passage of Scripture where the Lord reaches down and gives Moses his own special calling to service. Now, if you were with us last Sunday morning, we looked at the narrative at the second half of Exodus 2, where Moses goes from the power and the influence of Egypt, and he moves to the dusty deserts of Midian. Moses had grown up, of course, in the royal household of Egypt, but he never could have predicted, Moses never could have predicted how his story was going to go, the stunning twists and turns of his own life. There in Egypt, we read last week how, how Moses' heart began to stir with compassion, compassion towards his fellow Hebrews, how they were still in slavery. And Moses decided that he would try to do something about it. He would try to exert some of his own leadership, some of his own strength and influence and his own timing. But we saw last Sunday morning what Moses tried ultimately became an utter failure. And in the span of just one day, Moses had killed an Egyptian taskmaster. The Hebrews rejected Moses' leadership. And as a result of that, Moses fled. He fled far away from Egypt, and he went off to Midian. Well, family, today we're coming in our Bibles to Exodus 3. And in Exodus 3, as it opens, we're meeting up with Moses now roughly 40 years after his arrival in Midian. We looked last week and talked about Moses' age when he fled from Egypt. He was about 40 years old. Well, now we're 40 years down the road. So at this point, Moses is about 80 years old. And during these 40 years that he's now been living in Midian, he was working as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And here out in the desert, something truly amazing happens. God shows up to call Moses to this amazing task. Well, family, we're going to dig into the text now. We're going to look today at four special scenes. Four special scenes that led to Moses' calling, and then you and I are going to talk together about some of the encouraging truths that we can uncover from this text for our Christian lives in the here and now. So let's look at four scenes today in the calling of Moses. Here's the first one. Number one, a surprising bush that did not burn. Number one, a surprising bush that did not burn. Let's go to Exodus 3 now. You have your Bible? I hope you do. Exodus 3, verses 1 through 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. 
And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Friends, let's talk about this first scene together. Last Sunday morning, in addition to this Exodus passage, I told you that there's another great passage in the Bible, another inspired scripture that gives us some of the most important scenes of Moses' earthly life. And that special text is found in the New Testament. It's in the book of Acts chapter 7. In Acts 7, Stephen is preaching. And Stephen, in his sermon, recounts, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, some of the most important events of Moses' life. Well, there in Acts chapter 7, verses 29 and 30, Stephen records that once Moses arrives in Midian, he settles down. And he marries a wife, and he has two sons. His wife's name is Zipporah. His two sons were named Gershom and Eliezer. And for the next 40 years, Scripture says, 40 years, Moses is here working for his father-in-law's business. He's here in Midian. He's working as a shepherd with the flocks of Jethro. Now, Christian friends, listen, before we press on, let's stop right here and let's just think for just a moment how long a period of time 40 years is. Remember, this is not four years being a shepherd, not four, 40, 40 years. You know, Will Stanley was up here this morning leading worship for us, playing guitar and singing. Will gave me permission to tell you that he is 32 years old. He's 32 years old. So according to the Bible, Moses spent eight more years leading sheep in the desert, eight more years than Will Stanley has been alive. So 40 years in the desert leading the sheep of your father-in-law's business is quite a long time. And friends, I wonder if you and I do just think for a moment, what were those years like for Moses? Day in and day out, taking care of someone else's sheep. You're working for your father-in-law. It's not even your own business. You're working for someone else out in the desert, day after day, year after long year. What did Moses think about in all those lonely days, those times of quiet solitude out in the desert, when all he had for his company was some sheep? Did Moses look back at his own story? Did he look back with regret with how things ended in Egypt? Did he feel like a failure? Did he, did he resign himself to the fact that he, his leadership was a bust? Did he think that his mistakes were catastrophic? Did he think that he would probably spend the rest of his earthly days walking around the desert taking care of someone else's sheep? Family, I just can't help but think that after 40 long years, Moses, in his own heart, probably felt like a failure. He probably felt like a castaway. He felt like he was just off and, and off into obscurity, never to be used again. But friends, as Exodus 3 shows us, God was not done with Moses. God was certainly not done. One day Moses is out there, and he's over here near the region of Horeb, when Moses sees something totally out of the ordinary. Scripture says he sees this bush that's burning in this fiery flame, yet it was not burning up. It was not ultimately being consumed. Now, here's what's so fascinating, family. Many people down through the years have tried to explain this portion of the Bible by some kind of natural phenomenon. 
People want to try to explain this naturally. There are people who actually say that the bush was burning here because, because the bush had gaseous pods. Or, or that the, the, the plant had flammable oils inside of it. And so that's why it was burning without burning up. But friends, listen, we've got to remember something here. Moses is a 40-year veteran of desert living. Okay, this was a guy who had his PhD in outdoor survival. Okay, if this was something plain, ordinary, something that always happens, if it always happens that a plant bursts into flames because of its gaseous pods or because of its flammable oils, well, Moses wouldn't have stopped. He wouldn't have stopped and gone over to investigate it further. So let's be real clear. This is not to be explained with a natural cause. All right, let's get that straight. This is not natural. This is supernatural. And that's because a supernatural God was here to converse with Moses. Now, friends, before we press on in the narrative here, let's, let's reach out, you and I, let's reach out. Let's grab two important applications here for our own Christian lives today. Let's let this interaction between God and Moses, let's let it remind us that God's plans always supersede our plans. Let's get that first. God's plans always supersede our plans. Just like Moses, sometimes you and I have a completely wrong estimation about ourselves and about our life and about our situation. Sometimes we can look at our life scenario, we think about the mistakes we've made, the failures, the sins that have happened to us, we come to this conclusion that we're too messed up and God's done with us. We think we've messed up too bad, the mistakes, the failures, the sins. I'm just a big loser and I've blown it and I'm just going to stutter along in life and I'm never going to do anything positive again. But listen, Christian friend, you need to know that is not the truth. You should not speak falsehood to yourself. You should speak the truth. The truth of Scripture is God is not done with you, Christian. The Bible says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Christian friend, listen to me. Are you still alive? You still breathing? Your heart still pumping blood? Then God still has a plan for you. God still has a plan and a purpose for your life's journey. Yes, this life journey may not have been the one you expected. Oh, sure, maybe it's had a couple twists and turns that you weren't, weren't expecting to come your way, but you need to know God is still in control. God's in control of the times and the circumstances and the events that are unfolding. You are still useful for good things that can bring Him glory. So Christian friend, be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that truth today. But then secondly, friend, I want you to grab hold of this. This truth today, this reality that God is still active in His world. God is active in His world. You know, some people today have this idea that God is this mighty creator. They're willing to acknowledge that all of this came from somewhere. So they'll go as far as to say that there must be a creator. But then they step away and say, oh, but this creator is not involved. And they act like that God is off somewhere in the far reaches of the galaxy somewhere. They act like that God is the watchmaker who makes the watch, winds it up, and then sits it on the table and leaves town. But that is not the picture 
that Scripture gives to us about the Lord God. Yes, God is mighty. Yes, He's a creator. Yes, He's transcendent. He's above and beyond in all of His majesty. But the Bible says He's also imminent. And that word imminent means near. He's near. He's nearby. He's involved. He's engaged with His creation. He created it, but then He is governing that creation. So friends, when we see God step in to Moses' world here in this burning bush, and here's God stepping in to interact with Moses and talk to him and and orchestrate Moses' life situation. Well, friend, you need to be encouraged today. God is still just as active today. Scripture says our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His nature is to be an active God. He's He's a sovereign God. He's a providential God. He's the one who's involved in every aspect of His universe. He's a God who's directing. He's a God who's leading. He guides and He moves and He brings His will to pass in and through our lives. So Christian friend, be encouraged today. God hasn't showed up in front of your eyes in a burning bush, but that doesn't mean He's still not actively involved in your life because He is. He knows you. He loves you. And He is actively overseeing your life's journey just like He was doing with Moses. Now, let's move on. Here's a second scene. A second scene that leads to Moses' calling. Number two, a holy God that will not be approached casually. Number two, a holy God that will not be approached casually. Look at our text, verses 4 through 6. So when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Family, have you ever met someone important? Have you ever met someone significant? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a boss Maybe it's somebody really up high in the corporate ladder of your company. Maybe it's a CEO. Have you ever met maybe someone who who works in government? Have you ever met someone important and that important someone insisted that you call them by their first name? That, That situation is very unnerving. I remember a couple years ago, a group of our men from Grace Baptist, we went up to Clark Summit University for a, a men's retreat. Well, not long after we were there on the campus, we met one of my former professors, Dr. Jim Lytle. And Dr. Lytle is now actually the president of Clark Summit University. Some of you might remember Dr. Lytle from his visit here. He just visited us uh, last year. Well, we get on campus, and I see Dr. Lytle, and we're with a group of our men. And I, the minute I go up to Dr. Lytle and, and I greet him, he says, he says, oh, Ryan, call me Jim. Now, now, family, this is a man that I have known since I was in ninth grade. I have known this man for a very long time. He's been very respected in my life. 
I, I've sat in his class. He was my, he was my professor. I, I learned how to read and teach and study the Bible from this man. He was my professor. He, he's now the president. I mean, I wrote papers for this man. I looked up to this man, respected him. I listened to him preach in chapel and different events. This man has a doctorate in theology. Now, do you think that I'm really going to be able to call this man Jim? Well, what do you think I said to him? I gave him my greeting, and he says, Oh, Ryan, call me Jim. And I said, Well, that's not going to happen, Dr. Lytle. Family, isn't it fascinating today to see how our world has suddenly gone casual? From the college campus to the boardroom and everything in between. But listen to me, friends. There is still one person. There is still one person out there who has not yet officially boarded the casual bandwagon, and that's God. Look at verses 4 to 6. Moses sees this sight that he's never encountered before. This is not natural. He's never seen this in 40 years in the wilderness, this burning bush that can't be consumed. So he starts to walk over closer to investigate. But that's when God calls out and says, Moses, Moses, stop right there. Take off your sandals, God says, because the place that you are about to enter is holy this is holy ground. Now, friends, for all of us to be reminded here this morning, what does the word holy mean? What does the word holy mean, especially in relationship to God? Well, that word holy has the idea of something that is set apart. If something is holy, it's set apart. It's special. It's something that's not ordinary. No, no, it's extraordinary. Something is holy means it is of such a quality that it deserves more than just average treatment. No, it deserves special treatment. Something is holy, that means it deserves respect. It deserves reverence. It deserves honor. And of course, family, wouldn't we all agree? Surely the most holy thing in the universe is God. Is God Himself. Over and over again, the Scriptures tell us what an awesome an amazing, holy God, our Lord is. He's this eternal spirit being. He's the ultimate supreme being. He's infinite. He's eternal. He stands above space and time and matter. The Bible says God is omnipotent. In other words, He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. That means He knows all things. Scripture says he's, he's omnipresent. That means He's everywhere at all times. But not only that, the Bible also teaches us that God's character, His being, is one of a blazing, pure righteousness. God is pure righteousness in His being. He is the perfect standard by which all goodness is judged. God is pure, blazing righteousness. He is purity. In His very essence, He is the standard by which all goodness and purity and righteousness is judged. Look in your notes, I gave you 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, which says, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Scripture there is not talking about turning on the light like, oh, it's bright, and now it's dark. No, no, no. 
Scripture there is talking about the essence of God. There's no corruption in God. There's no evil in God. There's no darkness in God. Not even a trace of evil. No, in God there's only pure, blazing righteousness. Pure, blazing holiness. Look in your notes. I also gave you this famous passage from Isaiah 6. Remember this one? Isaiah writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high, lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple, and above Him stood the seraphim, that is, these special angels. Each one had six wings. With two, He covered His face. With two, He covered His feet. And with two, He flew. And the angels called one to another and said, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Family, this is the God that Moses is meeting. This holy God. So what happens to Moses? In, in the presence of this awe-inspiring holiness, what happens? Well, Moses does the same thing that Isaiah did in Isaiah 6. Moses does the same thing that John does later in Revelation 1. He does the same thing that Daniel does in Daniel 7. Moses hid his face. He shook with fear and his skin turned white and he assumed the position of reverence. Christians, listen, if you haven't spotted already, there is such incredible significance here for our lives. Significance that deserves immediate application and response from us Christians. Listen, if God, if God truly is just as supreme, if He's just as majestic, if He's just as holy right now, as He was back then with the times of Moses, then surely, Christians, surely right now, God still deserves and commands our reverence. Family, just look at all the various characters of Scripture. Just do a little quick study sometime. Look at all the characters in the Bible who had a, a face-to-face encounter, a one-on-one -on -one with God. Look what happens to them. Their humility, their reverence, their seriousness about meeting with this awesome God. Friend, let me ask you, how do you act when you meet God? When you come into God's presence, you do it often. You do it in worship. You do it in prayer. You do it in Bible reading. I would ask you this morning, what is your approach as you come to meet with God? Is it possible, Christian friend, that perhaps you have become a little too casual? You know, friends, the sad reality is in today's American church, we seem to have forgotten the holiness of God. Last year, I was at an event with some Christians from our church. And at this event, there was a man who stood up to pray and this man opened his prayer by saying, Hey, God. And it, it took me a second to actually let those words get into my ear canal. And I thought to myself, Hey, hey, God. Hey, God. I remember hearing a chair wiggle, and I worried if Lee Kleiber was going to fall out of his chair onto the floor. Hey, God. Friend, I think God deserves more reverence 
than the greeting that we might use for one another at the mall or the baseball field or the playground. Christian, I think it'd be good for us to be reminded today about our God. He is holy. He is holy and He will not be approached casually. Well, so far, we're looking at Moses' calling. We've seen this surprising bush that did not burn. We see this holy God that will not be approached casually. Here's the third scene. Scene three, a special people that cannot be forgotten. A special people that cannot be forgotten. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Now, Christians, last Sunday morning when we were coming to the end of chapter 2, the Bible gave us four important verbs. Four verbs that were so encouraging. Remember, the, the Hebrew people were hurting, right? They're enslaved, they're agonizing, and they're crying out to God. And at the end of chapter 2 there, we looked at verses 24 and 25. We saw these four key verbs. God heard. God remembered. God looked. God acknowledged. And we said last Sunday morning, this is a signal. This is a signal that God is getting ready to take action. Well, family, take notice of the action of verses 7 and 8. Look at it. God says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cry, for I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them. And family, what's so interesting is verse 9, we actually get some ideas that are repeated. Verse 9 kind of repeats again. God repeats His loving concern for His people. He has seen their oppression. He has seen their affliction. He sees it. He knows. And He cares. You know, friends, listen, sometimes when you and I are going through a really hard situation, something really painful, we are so prone, like God's people, we're prone to, to cry out in pain and in agony, just like the Hebrews did down in Egypt. And the tears are streaming down our face. We're going through this hardship. The tears are flowing and our hearts breaking and we're praying from the heart, Oh God, don't you recognize the pain of my soul, the agony that I'm in right now. Don't you know how hard this is on me and my family? Don't you see my tears? Don't you feel my anguish? Don't you see my suffering? And question after question, we lob off to the throne of heaven. Hey, family, the answers, the answers to all those questions according to Scripture is yes. Yes. Yes is the answer to all of those questions. Yes, God does see. Yes, God does recognize. Yes, God does know. Yes, God does understand. But family, most of the time, the problem with understanding is not His part, it's our part. We fail to understand that God's plans and God's timings are superior to our plans and our timings. Look in your notes. I gave you Isaiah 55.9. It reminds us, for as the heavens 
are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Family, listen, let's be honest. It wasn't easy for the Hebrews to be down in Egypt and to be slaves for all those years. They were down in Egypt for 400 plus years. It wasn't easy for them to go through that, but during that time, God was working something. God was growing them. He was growing them from this small little family clan of 70 people. He was growing them into a nation, a mighty nation of some 2 million strong. And God was preparing things. God was getting the land of Canaan ready. God was making it ready to get ready to drive out all of these other people groups. They would be decimated. They would be defeated. They'd be driven out so that God's people could have the land that he promised them. Family, here's what we're saying. All those promises that God made to Father Abraham, God made promises, didn't he? Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 22. God made special promises, covenants with Abraham about land, about descendants, about being a blessing. God had every intention of keeping those promises. The Israelites were his people. He wouldn't forget them. He wouldn't forget them. He was going to keep his promises to them. And now that the timing was right, the timing was now right. Now the Lord was here to raise up Moses to be the special leader who were going to lead those people into the land. Christian friend, I want you to take an application here. Take a great reminder today, Christian, that your God is a promise keeper. God keeps His Word. God doesn't make promises and then not follow through. God doesn't say something and then just drop the ball. No, God makes promises and God keeps promises and He keeps them all. Now listen, is it possible? Is it probable that there's going to be hardship and some adversity and some challenges in your life journey? Is there going to be some struggles and trials along the way for you? The answer is yes. Yes, not only possible, but it's very probable. But friend, even as you live through that adversity, God is doing something. God is still in charge, and He gives you His promise. He is with you. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't abandoned you. He is with you. He's going to bring you to the place that He wants you to be, and He's going to make you into the person that He wants you to be. I love Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 is so encouraging. Because it reminds us that everything that God is doing in the life of the Christian, everything God does in your life, Christian friend, is not meant to sting you. It's meant to shape you. Not to sting you, but shape you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's His promise. He's shaping you into the image of His Son, and He is with you. Look at Hebrews 13.5 in your notes. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the same thing Jesus Himself said in Matthew 28. He said, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And then he gave us his Holy Spirit to literally indwell us, that he would be with us daily. So believer, listen, no matter what kind of challenge you're through right now, what kind of hardships or trials you're facing, Christian, know this. No, God is for you. God is for you. He's not against you. He's with you. He's in you. He's going to keep all of his good promises to you. Remind yourself today, friend. Even in the midst of the challenge, remind yourself God knows you, God loves you, He's with you, He's even in you, and He's leading you to the place He wants you to be and to make you into the person He wants you to be. 
I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is what, that, this is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Well, friends, can we look at one more scene here? Scene number four. Scene number four. Here's the climactic scene. A divine summons that must not be ignored. Number four, a divine summons that must not be ignored. Look at verse 10. God says to Moses, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Christian friends, I always love to read and hear the true stories of people who made their lives count for something big when the world initially labeled them a failure. By way of example, many, many years ago, there was a man who got fired from a newspaper. The newspaper said, get out of here, you're fired, kicked into the curb. They told him he lacked imagination. They said he had no original ideas. That guy's name was Walt Disney. There was a music group once set home from the Decca Recording Studios. The studio bosses listened to this band try out and they sent them home. They said, no, we're not gonna sign you, we're not gonna record you on our label. The bosses said, we don't like your sound. And they said, you obviously have no future in the music business. That music group was the Beatles. Friends, we could add another name to that long list of supposed failures who became great successes, and that was Moses. Of course, who would have ever chosen Moses at this point? He's an 80-year-old man. He spent the better part of the last 40 years living in the Midian desert, watching over sheep that aren't his own. He's just working in his father-in-law's business, and his past was filled up with so many problems he had manslaughter in his past. He had failed leadership in his past. Who would ever have picked this guy to be the one that God was going to use to bring people out of Egypt? But that's exactly what happens in verse 10. It's amazing. Here's this divine summons held out to Moses that out of all the people walking the planet at this moment, it's Moses. Moses is the one handpicked by God to accomplish this special mission. Now, family, next Sunday morning, we're going to come back to this text and uncover in even more detail uh, how Moses deals with this calling. But we're going to see now at this point that this was a divine summons that could not be ignored. This was a summons. This was a calling that could not be ignored. No matter how uneasy Moses might have felt by this, no matter how unqualified he might have felt by this, this was a calling that God wanted him to accomplish. Christian friend, as we see Moses here on this receiving end of his special calling, Christian, this is a great opportunity for you to be reminded about the things that God has called you to accomplish. Where does God want you to be obedient? Now, sure, God hasn't called you to lead millions of Hebrew slaves out of Egypt into the establishment of some new nation. But what has God called you to? God has called you to be a witness for Him. 
You are called to be a witness. You are called to represent Jesus Christ in this world, to speak the good news of Jesus, so that people all around us who are spiritually enslaved to sin and Satan and death and hell, so that those people might be released from their shackles, that they might find true freedom in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 is in your notes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God has put a calling on your life, Christian. You are called. You're called to be a part of God's ministry of reconciliation of showing lost people how they can be brought back to God through Jesus Christ. In addition, friend, God calls you and He calls me to walk a certain way in this life. He has called us to walk in holiness, a holiness that matches up with His holiness. God calls us to walk, to have a manner of life that reflects who we are in Christ. Look in your notes as Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner from the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Christian friend, are you nodding off while we're talking about the calling of Moses? Are you thinking, oh, this doesn't apply to me. This is some old guy long ago in an ancient time getting a call beside a burning bush. Oh, there's nothing here for me. Oh, friend, don't say that. This does apply to you. Just as Moses had a unique calling to fulfill, so each and every Christian listening to this message today has a unique calling to fulfill. Even if you are not called to a full-time vocational service of the Lord. You are still called to be a full-time Christian. And the New Testament overflows with what your calling entails. So Christian, think about your calling today. Take it serious. Think about your calling as a Christian, what you're called to. God holds out tasks for you, and those tasks should not, must not be ignored. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not a Christian. And perhaps you're saying to yourself, well, God, God's not calling me to anything. Well, that's not true either, friend. That's not true. If you're listening to this message today and you aren't a Christian, God is calling you. God is calling you to repent of your sins and to believe on Jesus Christ as Savior all your life, maybe you've been curious about church and curious about God, and maybe you've been searching for answers here or there, and you just want to know, what's the truth? What's the real truth about heaven, about having my sins forgiven, about having my guilt taken away, about how to be rightly related to God? What's the truth? Well, friend, here's the truth right here and now. God is calling you to believe on His Son, Jesus Christ. The Lord's calling out to you today, friend, with the words of Scripture. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. 
Oh, friend, the Bible says there is no other way to heaven. There is no other way to salvation. No other way to forgiveness of sins. No other way to get your guilt taken away. But through Jesus Christ, the Savior. Jesus is the only way. So, friend, if God is calling you today, believe on Jesus. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Invite Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of your life. Well, family, as we close now, I hope that you'll go out of this place today encouraged with all these tremendous truths that, that show up in the calling of Moses. What an incredible event this is at the burning bush. But friends, it still has incredible significance for your life and mine here today. This awesome, eternal God who showed up actively in the life of Moses. Listen, He's still actively working in your life today, Christian friend. This blazingly holy God who was so worthy of Moses' adoration and Moses' reverence. That's the same blazingly holy God that you serve. And He deserves your reverence. He deserves your worship. This incredible God who made promises to His people, intent on keeping them to His people. Well, don't forget, Christian, God is going to keep all of His good promises to you. And what an unlikely choice that God would choose Moses to choose this man to call him out of a desert situation and put his stamp on his life to overcome all the obvious failures of his past? Oh friend, what an encouragement that is for you and me that God still uses broken people. He still uses broken, failing people like you and me to accomplish His good and glorious purposes in this world. So Christian, listen, before you head out these doors to your new week, take some time right now. Return thanks to this glorious God that you serve. Bow down in reverence before His holiness. And commit yourself to a renewed obedience to His calling that's on your life. And may this God, whose glorious fire burns so brightly, inside that bush. May that fire burn just as brightly in your heart and in your life this week. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.